This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Bonaventure Chapman. <laughs> and welcome to God's Plenty. Thanks to all of those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and to subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Father Monometra, here we are, back at God's Planning headquarters, God's Planning's digital headquarters, uh, recording That's an right. episode on some theme as ever pertaining to our Christian lives. Um, but uh, but how are you? Uh, how are things? I can't complain. Just carrying on, carrying on. You know, summer's rolling around, and uh, and I am doing the exact same thing I've been doing for a long time. I'm working on a longer yeah. paper. Um, yep. So... Yeah, standard stuff. That'll be the story for a while. Um, yep. But you know, you get you find different insights and find different things, and you try to not be distracted. Um, you know, it's so easy. I can see why people don't finish dissertations. You know, uh, because there's just so many. On one level, because if you're doing dissertation of any interest, you've stumbled upon a ton of interesting things that merit mm. their own kind of dissertations slash at least your reading of other people's dissertations. And then you're realizing that your dissertations can be just as bad as theirs and then despair. <laughs> uh, and th But, you know, then you move. Um, but that's one. And then and then there's also just the distractions of, you know, you're doing something for a while. And the deep, again, the feeling of, of like, no one's going to read that. And then, <laughs> and, uh, and then so you, other things like distract your eye, you know, it's like, I mean, people can, people sometimes uh, talk about being distracted in mass or something. And I totally get that, you know, even though it's the most important thing in the world, it's both the same time, the easiest thing to drown out, I suppose. And the dissertation is kind of a similar, you know, it's like, hey, this is, this is super important. And what a great gift that I have been given the chance to write a dissertation on, on early modern German philosophy and to learn the truths of God, um, as such as they are through that. Um, at the same time, it's extremely distractible, you know? So you just, yeah, you just fight distractions as best you can. Uh, you sit in different positions, you know, mm. you uh, different, yeah, there's different, try to figure out the time and that kind of stuff. So lots of little strategies. But distraction is, I think Augustine says that distraction dissipation is just the human condition. And it's true even for dissertation writing. Does that, wow. that ring true for you? Um, it's fast. So I have a variety of thoughts. One is, you know, like full disclosure to our listeners, I think we're recording this episode something like six or seven weeks before we air because Katie Parker, who edits uh, the podcast before and posts the podcast, um, she's going on the Camino trip. And so like we're, we're doing a lot of things in, in advance or in anticipation of that. But the, the sweet thing about when Father Bonaventure and I get, get together and talk about our lives is that nothing changes. <laughs> so we could we could post this episode in four months and it wouldn't matter. This, this conversation would be just as applicable then as it is now uh, because of the peculiar nature of our current apostolic assignments, which is to say our non-apostolic assignments. Um, but yeah, I mean, so like dissertation malaise takes a variety of forms in my life. And um, I think sometimes the thing that's hardest is to be doing a work that isn't yet done, which is, you know, mm. that's, that's not an interesting claim. It's just work. But because, yeah. because the scope of it, is so grand it's really hard to evaluate what like intermediate steps even look like in light of the final step like today for instance i'm going to tell you what i did today today i sat at my desk and i reviewed uh the text that i had used of saint thomas against critical editions of those texts because i just have like quick ready to hand ones that i can cut and paste and yeah. work on and because the critical editions aren't too far from his um so i was like changing typefaces from regular to italicized or from regular to small caps and then I was changing like colons to semicolons while listening to an Agatha Christie audiobook. And I did that for like eight hours. And I'm not even done, like even close to. 
Um, but it was a pretty good day, actually, in some strange way. I remember you saying that you like to do the dishes because then when you go to bed that day, you know you've gotten something accomplished. Yep. And um, I, I think that with, with dissertation work, that's, that's part, of the, part of the difficulty of not knowing, you know, like what the current work has to say about or contributes to the overall work is that you don't always have that impression. Right. You're, or you're just not as you're not as confident of, of that as you were in the novitiate when you like went outside for seven hours and mowed the lawn and then like shaped the bushes with a hedge trimmer while observing your other classmates who have never touched a hedge trimmer before in their life to, you know, great, great delight. So this is already too long of a discussion of dissertating, but um, it's such a wild rodeo, man. It's just. Yeah. Bleh. Well, and I'll say, I mean, yeah, no, like the dissertation. No one cares about us discussing it either, I suppose. But people <laughs> do care about weddings. They care about weddings. Seamless transition. That was an incredibly seamless transition. And I salute you for getting us on You're track welcome. because, yeah, sometimes, sometimes when people like leave comments about the podcast, they're like, hey, you know, like kind of interesting conversations. Um, you know, if you could limit some of the chatter at the beginning, we're like, no, but we have to talk about our existential woe. That is of the utmost importance. Okay, so weddings. Here we go. Um, so I think wedding a lot season. of people, you know, wedding season, it's, uh, I think this is, this episode is going to post in June. June is the most highly trafficked wedding month, I think in the United States. I mean, October is not too far behind, but, but June is, June is big. June is big wedding time. Um, and so you're going to have friends, family, all kinds of folks getting married. And the question is, which ones do you go to? All right. And sometimes you're just going to have to make financial considerations, or you're just going to have to make the call based on financial considerations as gas prices mount. And as inflation spirals out of control, it's just like, ah, I just can't do it. But then there are going to be other ones where you're going to make more of a moral call or kind of an existential call because it's like, uh, I don't know, right? I don't know how wholeheartedly I want to celebrate this fact because I'm not sure, just not sure, right? So we want to talk about that a little bit. Mm. Um, so I don't know. Do you have some initial thoughts to kind of set the stage, initial questions that you want to pose? I have some questions of my own, but what are things sure. that you think of when approaching this question or when helping other people to approach it yeah oh it's i mean it's such a tough one right because weddings are are a beautiful thing uh and they're very important uh and everyone everyone has very few people like go into wedding dragging their feet uh, we just don't do those much anymore you're usually doing so much that you want to have like seven in your life or something but like people prepare for weddings they think about weddings they love weddings um men more than women more than men i suspect but everyone kind of they're, they're a joyful time right it's when you're uh when you're a priest doing weddings is fun you could say it's just hard not for it to be exciting and great and doing funerals is difficult it's in a sense more important in a way uh, because of the salvific moment there, uh, but it's that just family strife. Now weddings can have family strife, no doubt about that. But there's something about them; they just the joy kind of carries the day, and all of the symbolic weight that the American tradition, cinematic and otherwise cultural, brings along. That everyone's pretty excited about things. And you're only the only hard work you have to do is to tell people not to do the unity candle. That's it, uh, basically. But, but at the same time, so that's that's all for the good. And when someone says we're getting married, and you say that. Well, weddings are great, therefore. But then you, at the same point, there are some situations where you think, oh no, oh no, this is a dangerous situation. I don't actually, could be a wedding, um, could be same-sex couples, for instance, uh, could be a wedding outside the church of people who are Catholics, for instance, of family members are Catholics. Um, it could be, it could be a lot of, there's a lot of different kinds of weddings. It could be, yeah, wedding outside the church, not just in the sense of ecclesially, but like, you know, like in a, a Protestant church, you could say, 
but also like a, a church on a beach, a wedding on a beach. Or something. There's plenty of options. And and you don't want to be a sport. Like, no one likes to make very few people. Father Jacob Bertrand does. Most people don't like to make people feel bad. Um, like, and so when someone is excited about a wedding, you have this natural desire to, to want to affirm them in this joy. But at the same time, um, there is also a tendency to say, is this a good? Is this a good? Um, mm -hmm. So first other question is, I want to say, is this a good thing on the whole, for instance? Uh, and not just like, I don't think she's right for him, but like, is it a good, is it a good? Uh, and then, well, if it's not, what level of bad is it? Mm -hmm. You know, and because that's going to bring the prudential calculation. Those are the things I think about, like yes or no, good, or, good or bad, and then what what level are we talking about here? That's two things that come to mind. Yeah, and I think you 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 know kind of started setting up for us a spectrum with same sex marriages. You know, like two baptized Catholics who are getting married outside of the church, or maybe even it's like it's a baptized Catholic and then a non Catholic, and you're just really not sure that they're going to you know bring kids up in the world to be good Catholic saints because. Yeah, maybe maybe the non-Catholic is pretty vehement in his or her non-religious commitments or other religious commitments. Or maybe it's like baptized Catholics who have ceased to practice the faith, you know, so like they're they're getting married in the church, but they're kind of being aided and abetted by a priest who doesn't really care too terribly much about evangelizing them or encouraging them to live their faith. So there's there's any number of options, right? And they're kind of on a spectrum. And some would be on the end of the spectrum where you're attending those weddings would be a counter witness, right? So it'd be a kind of scandal insofar it was as it would betray a kind of um, spirit of like a kind of false spirit of accommodation or like a false spirit of tolerance, a general fear of ruffling feathers, which can lead people to think that the Catholic faith doesn't matter. Its teachings are, you know, infinitely revisable and truth be told, it's just authoritarian and bigoted and it needs to be updated or whatever, you know, so like you, you, you just don't want to have you know, any truck with that. But on the other hand, there are, there are, I mean, like we, we need to be acknowledging of the fact, we need to acknowledge the fact that the church is pretty permissive, you know, in admitting her sons and daughters to the sacrament of matrimony. Um, and so it's not like the church has this gift of marriage and she just withholds it because she likes to withhold it until such time as you've to attain to a certain standard of sanctity. The church has it in her mind that, that marriage is actually a means whereby to achieve or attain to sanctity. So she's pretty generous, you know, um, in, in affording that sacrament in a way, not unlike the way that she's generous with affording the sacrament of baptism. If there's a hope that a child can be raised in the faith, you know, it's like, let's go, you know, if the, if there's the desires there. Um, mm -hmm. and so too with marriage, if there's a hope, you know, that this will fructify with a bond that's, you know, permanent, faithful and fruitful, then the kind of disposition on the part of the church is let's go. But then the question is, okay, well, is it permitted? Is it forbidden? That's one consideration. But like you said, is it good, right? And is my being present to this act, whether sacramental or non-sacramental, is my being present to it contributing to the good, right? Or is it is it in some way able to be of service to the bride and the groom, to their family, to others, you know, who are gathered at the event? Not to think of yourself as like the apostle of marriage betterment, but like, what am I doing here? Um, yes. What am I doing here? And this is where you as a philosopher are better suited to answer these questions, because I think it, there, there's like a, there's a consideration of what does it mean to be somewhere? Like, what does it mean to yeah. support a thing? And like, what, what are you doing when you show up? Like, how does that work? Yeah. And so in this, well, I don't know if the philosophy is much better to say this about, about this, but we do care a little about what's called traditional action theory. So in the 50s or something, a Catholic philosopher, G.E.M. Anscombe. Um, developed, said we need to focus on what actions are before we talk about morality. 
um, because the concern was morality in a sense, doing good had become a kind of head thing such you could, whatever you, it was your intention, some mental like thought, like I, I love this person. I want to help the poor. Therefore I'm going to take all their money and take all their food, you know, but I intend to do good to them, but it, you know, it doesn't matter. And you can imagine how abortion, this situation comes up too, right? Where you, you have, you have a case where you, you know, I want to do good for them. So I intend not to kill the baby, but if it dies, double effect reasoning, all sorts of stuff. She, she came particularly up because it, because Harry Truman had dropped, he dropped a number of bombs on cities, but particularly two ones on Japanese cities, nuclear bombs. And Oxford was awarding Truman, um, giving him an award. And she thought that that was, that, that the bombing was immoral and it was inherently evil because, because while he had intended to end the war with it, so his intention was end the war and just the results were massive amounts of innocence, people suffering. She said, that's not how actions work. Actions are not just mental events, but they're embodied uh, realities. So when we talk about like whether something's good or not, we mean a robust reality sense. So when you think about actions, it's called action theory, is what are you doing when you're doing anything? And it can't just be my body is doing one thing and my intention's doing this other thing, and I try to map them up, but they're unrelated. It's actually your body is expressing your mind. It's an expression of it. And Anscombe in this impossibly complicated but fantastic book, Intention, um, uses the example of like a man just pumping at, a, at a, a water mill and he's just pumping up and down. She asks, what is he doing? And the answer is he's pumping water to do something, to fill up something, but it's in the act itself. It's, it's not, his action is expressing such that if I ask, if I, I don't have to ask him, I know you're pumping water, but what are you really doing? No, no, what he's doing is that. Now we can have complicated interior things, but the basic principle of human action is that what you're doing with your body is expressing what you believe and what you're intending with your mind, if we want to do mind-body difference on this. So action theory is a helpful way of thinking. It's not just about where your body is, nor is it where your mind is, but it's how your body expresses your mind. And your body just does express some things meant of your mind, whether you want them to or not. If you are punching someone in the face, you are intending to harm that person. Whether you say, no, I, have, I was thinking about kitties and thinking about giving this person a cupcake when I'm hitting them in the face. Your mental state has almost nothing to do with it because your bodily state is expressing your actual intention. So that's when you very abstract sort of thing. But whenever you ask yourself a hard question, sometimes it's best to go back to basics and think, all right, how does action work again? Got it. Okay. So what is my action in going and sitting in that pew? or going and smiling and being at that wedding. What, not my mental state, but what am I expressing? Like, what am I saying with my body? Because that's what we do in action. And I think that that helps you to be sober in what you can expect of the other to, or what you can expect of the other in his or her interpretation of your action. Because sometimes we just tell ourselves lies. Like, yeah, I'm doing this thing, but actually what I'm intending is this. And we, we tell ourselves those lies with the anticipation or with the expectation that another person can then be relied upon to read our minds. When truth be told, that's not the case. And here I think of, you know, like Wittgenstein's quip that the best picture of the soul is the body. And by extension, you could say like the best picture of the soul's acts or, you know, an excellent picture of the soul's acts are the body's acts. Because like you said, the body is embodying what it is that the soul intends. 
So oftentimes in, in conversations about moral theology, we describe three main dimensions of a moral act, basically like what you're doing, why you're doing it, and then all of the pertinent considerations that factor in. So what you're doing already brings with it some of the why. All right. So like you said, you can't punch somebody in the face and say, I'm doing this so as to cuddle, you know, or I'm doing this so as to communicate my depth of affection. Because the act of striking somebody in the faith already intends, like you said, a why for harm, or, you know, or, or just, it intends a why for offense of some sort. Um, so we're thinking about it in these terms. So that way we can be sober in our approach to whether I attend or whether I don't attend or how I communicate my RSVP or how I follow up with the individual. So that way it's not just a series of mental gymnastics, which is one of my go-to explanations, but that it's actually a consistent thing, which kind of like radiates through our whole humanity. Yeah. Um, so well, maybe be, then should, just yeah. go ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, I should say, and, and we can, I like that mental gymnastics and lying to ourselves because we can, we can become so caught up with things. And in some ways, human action is meant to be reasonably clear and simple. We're meant to be transparent with people and not just in our speech, but with our, our bodily actions. That's why mm -hmm. like deceiving looks and stuff are, are you know, kind of side glances are eh, kind of, uh, yeah, a, a not as it's not an impressive moral act, you could say, to these sorts of things. So we want to be clear. So that you don't want to like spend, you should, if you're really spending a lot of time saying, ah, going pros and cons about this stuff, chances are you you might already know like there should be a simplistic notion what would what is my action would be meriting it and generally here's the thing if you show up at a wedding your action your bodily action will express the intention i support this person now you might say well i support this person as a human being and i support this person in falling in love with people and i support this person wanting happiness but i don't support this person marrying this person nor this kind of marriage in general this is a bad act you know in, in certain case but the thing is, no one, no one sees that. Like the what you when you go to a wedding, when you show up at something, you are you are the intention that's being expressed is is a support. And so the question you ask is simply, is this an action that I can support? Is the marriage an action that I can respond with my with an action of support? And that's where it gets to. Once you have the once you have a sense of that's the right question, then it comes into saying, all right, where's the spectrum here? You know, because it is. It is important that uh, we don't want to be purists in the sense that unless these are two, you know, daily mass communicants, Catholics, who have never sinned in their life anymore, um, therefore, it's not a good. You can't let the, the perfect be the enemy of the good in these situations. So maybe, Father Gregory, walk us in, what, is, what are some considerations now that we see that it's about expressing your, your support that supports the issue? walking through what kind of questions we ask, okay, can I support this or should I support this with my presence? Yeah, I think maybe some good kind of overall criteria to ask are like, all right, how do I love this person? How do I witness to this person? And then how do I facilitate this person's ongoing conversion without again being hyper preachy or without being super judgy or however you want to characterize it. But like, how do I love this person? Because love means to will the good of the beloved. If I show up, I say, I support this action. It's not just, I support you. It's in a certain sense, I support this action. And then that can, you know, kind of create in the person a certain space of acceptance as it were. Um, and it can also give scandal to others in attendance. So like you said, you know, this is the point at which we have to evaluate um, the particular act because not all bad acts are equally bad, right? You can distinguish among the gravity of acts. So like a same-sex marriage, I would say we would, you know, like no Catholic should ever attend um, because it's contrary to the natural law. 
in a way that is more radical or basic, right? So it so it sins against the kind of fact of, you know, God made the male and female, male and female, he created them. Uh, you know, and for this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall no longer be two, but one flesh. Like that's just kind of bedrock, as it were, of biblical revelation concerning the sacrament of marriage from Genesis 2. That's the text to which our Lord appeals when he kind of recovers the fullness of the teaching of marriage in the Synoptic Gospels, as it's explained there. So like, that's just, right? That's just, I mean, that's a sin against nature, um, which, you know, like you think about the way it's described in the Inferno, it's, it's a kind of violence against nature in a certain sense. And maybe, you know, we could have another conversation about, we, we had a conversation about Pope Francis and civil unions a while back, but I recently got a question from somebody like, why do Catholics focus so much on the church's teaching on homosexuality as a kind of culture war frontier, which I think is a good question. And maybe we want to entertain that in the future. But I think that that, you know, that gives us a good example. Mm. Or if it's like, yeah. you know, you know, two people are getting, two Catholics are getting married in the context of a, of a Satanistic worship, you know, like a, a black mass, right? That's even worse insofar as it sins against higher virtues and higher goods, which is to say like the very goodness of God and of fidelity, right? So infidelity is the gravest of sin. Um, beyond any sexual sin on account of the fact that it, it sins against the highest good. Um, but yeah. then I think that you start then to make evaluations of, are these people tending in a direction? Mm. Um, is that direction good? Is that direction bad? Right? Are they falling away from the practice of the faith? Are they kind of warming up to the practice of the faith? And like, in what way does my lending support either encourage them or discourage them from that? But you can fill in some details. No, I mean, on that's, those that's the, no, that's that's very one. I think of maybe mathematically like slopes. You know, yeah. Um, when uh, you know, so that it, a, a curve might be heading down, but it it might be going a downward direction or away from where you want it to be. It's still in negative direction, but the slope is rising because it's it's actually it's a parabola and it's turning it's turning the other way. So even though it's still below the line, it's making its way back up. You could say so it has a positive slope. Um, and I think that's a good when you when you when you think about these questions of prudence here um, about you know imperfect goods. The question is: Are these? Yeah, what's this? What's the slope here? What's the tendency? Is this is this a couple that is on the way? Uh, we're all via tours, but on the way towards Christ in this, and such that you're showing up as support is a way of supporting the continual journey of this on the way there, or is it? This is just they've they've always been traveling away and. You know, this is it's really kind of a, a mockery. They're they're descent it's a descending slope. And that may change. And in fact, you're you're kind of saying, oh, I'm i I'm really sorry and this is a, I want you to be happy and these sort of things, but I can't I can't express my support of you. That might actually be like a slope changer. It's possible. I know yeah. it's happened in history, um, at least once. So <laughs> um so it's it's possible it could happen again. And uh, probably has more than once. So that's that's another consideration is that if it's on, if you do the slope calculation and you figure up oh, the negative slope here, then you say, well, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe this will be something that changes that that changes that second derivative move. Um, so that's that's something to bring in the calculation that you're saying no is not the ending of a well, it's not ending of a conversation on your part. The other person mm -hmm. might. This might be obviously yeah. it's a big day, and you just have to be ready. I think you have to be also prepared if you're going to say no to, to a wedding. If you feel like it's a descending slope and it's more than negative like point zero zero five, it's we're you know we're heading into the double digits here. Then you might say like no, and and that might, and that's that's just objective reality. You still love them. They might take that extremely poorly, but there's a difference between giving offense and taking offense. And it's salubrious to remember that in this context too, especially since you were really, you were never called to do evil actions. I mean, this is it, even if it might achieve good. People, I think, forget this. 
we always hope that our actions will end up, we're always kind of, we're knee-jerk consequentialists. So we think like, oh, maybe if I'll tell this little white lie, maybe things will work out better. No, that Paul, St. Paul is really convicted about this. You can't do good. You can't do evil to achieve any good. It's not, you can't aim for that. So you don't want, so, but it doesn't need to end the conversation with them or the conversion process uh, unless they wanted to. And you don't have any control over that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool if you did, but then you'd probably screw stuff up too. I would. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, I mean, it's, it's a quotation. It's up there with St. Augustine's, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta said, God doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. And mind you, I don't know exactly how that's supposed to be phrased or parsed, but it basically amounts to the affirmation of what you just said, that we're not called to be consequentialists in this particular matter or in the moral life more broadly, because we're not put on earth to like optimize or maximize the effects. We're put on earth, you know, to, to love the Lord. We're put on earth for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. And the way it seems that we're to go about that is by living well, which is to say by living according to the grace, virtue, gifts of the Holy Spirit with which God endows us at baptism and seeks to grow in us with each passing day. And so it's not like a solipsistic or a kind of individual consideration because Virtue always has us entailed in other people's lives. It always kind of enmeshes us in the political and ecclesial community because we're always taking stock of common goods and common enterprises and common whatever, tranquility and order and peace. Um, so, so when we're posing this particular question to ourselves, like you said, it, it might change a relationship in a way that would appear to many parties as bad. But if there is already such a serious misunderstanding at work in the relationship such that I can't tell the other party what I think, or I can't encourage the other party and, you know, the, the, the growth that needs to take place, then it's already in a certain sense been sundered. Like that's not, that's not so much on me. I am responsible for posing this gentle correction in the way that is perhaps best received. But, but, I, but I have little to no control over that. Father Bonaventure is very good at um, administering fraternal correction because he does it in a way that's very appetible. I'm not good at it. You know, I try. I'm trying to get better, but I'm still pretty rotten. Uh, it's like a killer combination of cowardice and swagger. It's like, how did you, how did you make both of those things come together in the same weak act? Um, so like when we, when we approach, (laughs) when we we approach the other, we do it with this kind of like disposition of abandonment to God. It's like, listen, Lord, you know, you've made us for you and you're going to draw us to you in the way that you know how. And it seems that I'm an instrument of this work in some simple, humble, modest way. I don't know how to do it, but okay next step forward. Um, and I think that's, that's really all we can muster at certain, at certain times. And, and, um, I, you know, I don't know the time, but I think, um, uh, I'll, I just think my last thoughts on this is that weddings aren't secular matters. Why is this important? Because wedding, weddings aren't secular matters. We think, I mean, there's, they were always kind of, but a wedding, a Christian wedding or wedding is, is a religious event. I don't just mean natural religious wise, but it's a sacramental sign. Uh, the Bible, Father Albaidi, one of our, our our student master here and a Old Testament um, teacher here, always reminded us that the, it's true. The Bible and Revelation begins with a marriage in garden in the garden. It ends with a marriage and in the supper of the Lamb. The Old Testament covenant prophets are the those who are saying, "You you were remember we, we were married. We're going to be married, and you've you've been fighting against this." And Jesus' first miracle is at the wedding feast at Cana. And Paul in Ephesians five twenty two says I, he's talking about marriage all of a sudden, and he shifts and says. Oh, by the way, you know I was talking about Christ and His Church. So marriage is 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 a sacramental, sa- significant, sacred event. It's it's not a secular event, and that's why 
it, it matters to us. And so even if you can explain to someone, if you're saying, I really, I, I, I want to support you, but I can't support this, not because it's a moral judgment on you, but because the act itself is a sacred act, and I have to participate in worship in that. And I just, now, prudentially, how much you say about this, like, don't go in the whole diatribe about this sort of thing. If people are going to do what people are going to do, you know, so you give as much as necessary without harming. I think that's the key. Um, but to be, but, but, you know, to be truthful and to be okay with it, but it's, but marriage is a serious act. And I think people take it as a civil thing now, especially, but it's not meant to be not meant to be. Yeah. I suppose that maybe for my kind of last thought, maybe just a little final reflection on this notion of responsibility. Um, I think we're responsible for some things and then we're not responsible for other things. And that's part of just being a human being created in a world that's material and contingent and limited and time bound and on the way. Okay. Like we, we only really can exercise a certain providence over a certain limited number of things. And that's good because that for us is a source of freedom. Because if we acted as if we could control everything, we'd go crazy, right? So you can't control other people and you can't control their choices. You can only really control the way in which you consent to and cooperate with the grace of God. And that in a very delicate and, <laughs> and sensitive way. So our Lord Jesus Christ is this you know, universal and sole mediator of salvation. He sometimes deploys us within the context of that plan to bring about his, his saving designs. So your testimony matters, right? Your love matters, your witness matters, your ongoing conversion matters. And it can be a light into the nations. It can be an occasion of conversion for those with whom you live, whom you're called to serve. And, you know, like your responsibilities might be part of that story. Like you might be responsible for kids whom you're instructing in the faith and whom you're trying not to scandalize, whom you're trying to get to heaven. And that's, that's something that might factor in. Or you might not, right? And that might permit, kind of like permit you, I don't know, a, a kind of different prudential, what would you say, calculus as you, uh, as you approach this, that, or the other decision. But yeah, maybe, I mean, some, some, you'll, you'll choose to go to some weddings. You'll choose not to go to some weddings. Um, some might occasion a certain rejection or tension. That's not the end of the world. It might spur conversion. It might not. But that's God's business. It's not our business. We, like Father Bonaventure, like you said, it's, it's for us to do it as well as we can without causing unnecessary offense. But ultimately, it's for us to be the Lord's, right? And to be the Lord's instrument and to return to him in the fullness of truth and in a kind of abiding love. So we are not technicians of reality. We are placed gently, sweetly, strongly within the providence of God. And we rely upon him to work out the details because they're just, they're, ent <laughs> they're entirely beyond us. Um, boom. Well, that then is an episode. So uh, very delighted that you could join us for this particular episode. We hope that this is helpful for you whether or not you are going to weddings in the near future, at the very least for thinking about your moral lives and how you shape your moral decisions. So thanks then to all of our supporters. If you'd like to tithe to our work, uh, check us out at patreon.com. I should say, if you would like to tithe financially to our work, check us out at patreon.com. If you would like to tithe like eggs or livestock, that's through another portal. Um, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review unless a higher number of stars is available to you and then we would encourage you to shoot yet higher. Uh, visit godsplanning.org to shop our merchandise, which is now outdated because we've done a logo update, but we'll update it sometime in the next thousand years. Um, and then you can get dates and information for the up upcoming Godsplanning events, including retreats to which all of you are invited, which is awesome because one of them is for um, friends of all ages. Another one is for young adults. And then there's another one that's for, it's like a men's outdoor retreat. Uh, so yeah, we hope to see you at those things and uh, know that our prayers are for you. And please pray for us and we'll catch you next time on God's Planning.